So Jesus, we thank you for this time. Pray that you would fill us with a fresh experience of your passion and love. Would you make us different people? And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, right after my wife, Kristen, and I were married, we flew on our honeymoon to Waikiki. Uh, we landed there along with several other 100,000 people, sort of like a Super Bowl weekend, go Hawks. <laughs> Just had to find a place to get that in there, right? <laughs> Except the difference is that Waikiki is a beach, and all these other people who were there apparently wanted to be on the same beach. I have never had to wait in line for a spot on a beach. But there we were, waiting for a spot. And my wife and I didn't want to go back home and be telling our friends uh, uh, that all we did on our honeymoon was wait in line for a spot on the beach, you know. So um, we got a brainstorm. You see, we'd been uh, given one of those blow-up rafts to go on the water, only this was kind of a party raft. So uh, it was big enough for two people. It had a spot in the middle for a cooler and a few little uh, cup holders around, you know. So the idea was to just kind of float around, laying in the sun, sipping an adult beverage, you know. So we ditched the line, blew up the raft, pushed it out from shore, and we jumped on. Only about that time, uh, the wind kind of picked up and started blowing us out to sea. So we started paddling in, you know. But the wind was like blowing against us, and it kept pushing us farther and farther out. It was like within a couple of minutes, we were well over 100 yards away from the shore. I'm not kidding. So our paddling became a little more mm, urgent. <laughs> but the results weren't good. Since I'm stronger than my wife, my side was moving faster than her side. And so we're going around in circles, which created the perfect opportunity for our first marital disagreement. Like, hon, you've got to paddle harder. I'm paddling as hard as I can. You have to paddle slower. If I paddle any slower, we're going to blow farther and farther out. And by this point, we're both thinking that that story about standing in line for a spot at the beach is a whole lot better than this story we're creating about being lost at sea. It was like a half an hour of splashing and arguing and spinning around in circles until I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I fell in the water. And the crazy thing was, the crazy thing was that I hit the bottom almost as soon as I fell in. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm standing up in waist-high water next to this raft. Like we'd been kicking and splashing and arguing and spinning it around. All we needed to do was get off that raft and walk to shore. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's what we did. We got off that raft, walked to shore, and threw that raft away. Well, life can feel like that, can it, sometimes? Like we're just kind of paddling and spinning around and not going anywhere. Maybe we don't like the place that we're in, and we're not really sure how to get out of it. You ever been there? Maybe you're there today, or maybe you're there in your faith with Jesus. Now, this is the fourth week of a sermon series that we are going through on attitudes and postures which help us grow, because our attitudes... They shape our habits. They shape our postures. What is in us shapes what comes out of us and the habits and behaviors that we form. 
The main idea that we're looking at today is that people who grow um, have, uh, uh, make Jesus their greatest passion. Christianity is not a set of principles that we have to follow or these glorious ideas that we have to believe in or a bunch of rules that we have to obey. It's a relationship, a passionate relationship where we hear God speak, where we move in his power, where we trust in his faithfulness, and we do the things he would do. So making Jesus our greatest passion is the most important growth lesson of this whole series. Because when Jesus becomes our greatest passion, then we want to get rid of delusions, right? And when Jesus becomes our greatest passion, then we want to move in faith, not in fear. And when Jesus becomes our greatest passion, we want to be in community with other people who will help us grow. Because our relationship with Jesus, that's the most important thing in our lives. And experiencing more of him is what we want, so we will do whatever it takes for that to happen. Now there is throughout scripture this constant invitation for us to enter into a passionate relationship with God. But we we can let this relationship grow tame and sort of like domesticated, can't we? We listen to sermons and we think about God, you know, we talk about God, we have discussions about God, we read books about God, we listen to CDs about God. Those things are good things because they help us learn and learning helps us grow. But the, that relationship with God, um, there's just something missing there because this relationship invi- that God invites us to is described in Scripture with life and passion and vigor and enthusiasm. It's this relationship that's filled with passion and incredible intimacy. Psalm 18 says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord, he is my rock, my fortress, my salvation, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield and my salvation. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise. And I am saved from my enemies. Or Psalm 42. As the deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where, where can I go and meet with God? Or Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me. And you, you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. And then there's Jesus talking about the kingdom. And he gives his disciples this parable. He says, the kingdom of God is like a treasure buried in a field. A man found it. And then he buried it up again, and in his joy went and sold everything he owns so that he could buy that field. Now, there is nothing tame or domesticated about any of that, is there? Like, that's passion. Sometimes I wonder, what would happen if I, like, started relating with my wife the way sometimes I can slip into relating to Jesus with, you know, sort of that tame, domesticated manner. Be sort of like this. Love you. Thanks. 
that was kind of cool. Or maybe, maybe I just don't say anything to her for days, weeks, or months at a time, just sort of going through the motions of the relationship. Can you imagine that? Like, how do you think that would go over with her? Not well. Not well at all. Because who wants to be in a passionless, disconnected relationship? But that is what so many of us are settling for in our relationship with Jesus. And we, we are the ones who end up missing out. All the dreams we could have shared, all the adventures we could have lived into, the great conversations we could have had with him, living in his joy, being held in his peace, moving in his power, this relationship with Jesus can be so much more. Because love is passionate and love is free. It's creative. It's a little bit risky. Love has to express itself. It just can't help itself. And we have this big uh, chest in our house. It's a cedar chest. My father bought it for my mother when they were just dating. He bought it for her on her birthday. It was the first piece of furniture that he ever bought for her. He picked that thing out without her even knowing about it, wrapped it in a big ribbon, stuck a bow on it, slung it over his shoulder, and he marched that thing right up to her front door. Now, I don't know how he got his arms around it because it's a big chest. And I don't know how in the world he carried it by himself because it's really heavy. But what I do know is that that was a bold move. Like, Dad didn't know... If mom was going to like it, dad didn't know if she could keep it because in those days and living on the East Coast, he should have asked her father's permission for it, especially because he was sort of this intimidating guy, bigger than my dad, taller than my dad, and, oh yeah, vice president of U.S. Steel. But that doesn't really matter. None of that stopped my father. All he knew was that there was this big cedar chest and that mom was going to love it. So he bought it. And he carried that thing right to her front door. I love the image of that. Like marching all the way to the front door with that chest. Because it's so passionate. It's alive. It's free. A little carried away. Risky. But he just had to do it. He couldn't help himself. That's the kind of relationship Jesus invites us into. A great passion an intimate adventure. And when you have it, all you want, all you want is more of it. So Jesus gives us this picture in this passage of a vine and these branches to describe our relationship with him. And verse 4 is the key verse of the whole passage. Jesus says, Abide in me as I am already abiding you. In you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, there's two important words in this verse. The first word is abide. Abide means to stay connected with, to live in relationship with Jesus. That's the first word. The second word is vine. By describing himself as a vine, Jesus is saying that he is the life that we long for, all of it. And only in him will we find that life. Love, joy, purpose, adventure, life now, life forever. Success won't do it. Wealth won't do it. Popularity won't do it. 
Only by staying connected with and living in relationship with Jesus will we find that life. So there's three principles that come out of this passage. And the first one is this. As we think about this relationship with Jesus, we are the receivers. Jesus is the provider. Now, we are totally dependent on Jesus for the, in this thing. We can't manufacture Jesus' life in us. Like, we can't just make ourselves more like Jesus. We can't act ourselves into that. We receive that. We receive his life in us. Jesus is the provider. Like the way the vine provides the nutrients and the sap to the branch, Jesus provides what we need. His love, his peace, his power, his joy, his life, the whole thing. He pours all of that into us when we stay connected with him. And that makes us different people. It makes us grow. Which brings me to the second point. We don't have to do anything. All we do is just stay connected in relationship with Jesus. Now, the Christian faith, it's not about performance or doing the right things or following a bunch of rules. And that's hard for us to understand, particularly in this culture, because uh, we live in a culture where performance is everything. Getting the best jobs, getting into the best colleges, living in the best neighborhoods, keeping up a successful appearance, because it's the top performers who win and get ahead, right? Get the awards. That is why Tom Brady won't be the MVP today, because you got to win the Super Bowl to get that, baby. Sorry. Not really. Go, Ox. Well... <laughs> Sticking to the imagery that Jesus uses here, what exactly does it mean that we don't have to do anything? Well, all the branch has to do is stay connected to the vine, to receive the nutrients, to receive the life that's coming through that vine. And in the same way, we can't produce, we can't create, we can't make ourselves like Jesus, and we can't make ourselves imitate his life. That life, it has to flow into us. So we stay connected. And when we do that, it starts changing us. We notice that we start loving the things that Jesus loves. And we notice that our hearts start breaking over the things that break Jesus' heart. And we start noticing that we want to do the kinds of things that, that he did. Now, there are several habits that we can develop to stay connected. Like uh, letting the Bible read us, which Scott talked about the first week. And prayer is one of the practices that Jesus talks in this passage. Prayer helps us experience Jesus' presence probably more than in any other, and it helps us become more passionate about him. Now, one of the practices that I use when I pray is sometimes just to ask questions and then to listen. Like just to ask God some things that are on my mind or ask for some things and then listen. And sometimes God answers that with a thought uh, that I get that isn't like any thought that I've had before. And sometimes God answers me with this sense of like leading or an urge or a desire to jump into something. So then I just write that stuff down so that I can check it out with a friend or check it out against scripture to see if, you know, if maybe those really are the kinds of things that God would say. 
Now, sometimes a prayer pattern helps us because, like, it's difficult sometimes to sit down and pray. How do I go about this? What do I do? So a simple little prayer pattern to keep in mind is a prayer pattern that's called up, in, out. Pretty simple. Pray up. Like, in that way, you are glorifying God for all that he is, and you're thanking God for all that he's done in your life. And then you pray in. You ask God to show you things that he wants you to see about your life and pray for things that you need. And then pray out. Pray for other people. Pray for things like justice and racial reconciliation and for people who don't know Jesus to receive him as Savior and Lord. And there's lots of other ways that we can stay connected with Jesus. We're going to learn about those in the next several weeks. But the point is that we don't have to do anything. We just stay connected with Jesus, and that changes us. We grow, because as we're connected with him, those are the points and the moments when his life flows most freely into us. So we are the receivers. We don't have to do anything. And then third, you will bear much fruit. Now, verse 5 says, When you abide in me, as I am already abiding in you, you will bear much fruit. So Jesus doesn't say here, eh, you'll bear a little fruit. He doesn't look over the crowd here and go, eh, you know, this side, they, that looks like a sharp group. You guys, eh, maybe, maybe we might get some fruit out of you. No, he, speaking to every one of us in this room, says, you will bear much fruit, which means that if you are only seeing small things happening through your life, then you are not seeing everything. I've told you stories before about prayers that I've prayed or conversations I've had or ways that I've served other people, and at the time, I didn't think any good came out of that. Like, I walked away just going, God, you should ask somebody else in on this one. Like, this just didn't go over well at all. But um, it, later, I learned, uh, and sometimes, like a long time, uh, many, many like years later, I learned that, that, th that those things had a huge impact on somebody's life. You see, one of the ways that we can help other people see how God is moving through their life is to tell them when you see God working, like encourage them in what they're doing. God will use your life in more ways than you can even imagine. He will. And the best part about bearing fruit is that we get to experience joy and adventure. And we get to, it's like we're tasting the fruit. Like God is showing us the, like just how good he is as we see God changing us, moving us, moving in and through us. Now, um, one of my favorite stories about abiding is uh, about Jean McAllister. Some of you may know Jean McAllister. She is uh, one of our missionaries in Rwanda. But Jean never imagined that she would be a missionary. She was a professional who fell in love with Jesus. Then she went to seminary, and she became really devoted to, to uh, adult education here at Bell Press. With some friends, Jean formed this uh, group that eventually planned a trip to Rwanda. Sensing the Lord's leading, Jean signed up to go. So at the age of 60-something, Jean bought all her meds, got all her shots, got on a plane and flew the nearly 30 hours to Rwanda and the nearly 30 hours back from Rwanda, and she had a blast. 
One of the last nights that she was there, Jean heard the Lord say to her, you could do this. You could live here. So Jean spent the next year preparing herself culturally and spiritually to live in Rwanda. And when she left, she wasn't sure how long she would be in Rwanda. Well, that was eight years ago. And she's still there. Like, she's been serving in a local church. She's been supporting other missionaries in the area. She has helped several Rwandan leaders so that their ministries have become more effective. One of those uh, guys, his name is Alexis, he's been here. And Alexis uh, has helped hundreds of street kids get an education. That's the kind of impact Jean McAllister is making in Rwanda. Her time in Rwanda has not been easy, but it has been good and rich and fulfilling. God used her in ways she never would have imagined. She has this intimate relationship with Jesus. It's been a passion adventure with him throughout those eight years. Now, Jean had no idea that she would be living in Rwanda. She, um, but Jesus, Jesus provided everything that she needed along the way, like guidance and encouragement and wisdom. Jean didn't do anything except, except remain connected with Jesus. And because she did, she was able to hear his voice in prayer and through journaling. And that helped her know what God wanted her to do and then to move in courage. God has used Jean to bear much fruit. She has seen God move in ways that she never would have dreamed, thought, or imagined. And he has totally changed her life. She is blessed and feeling very thankful these days. All because... Jean abided. Now, God isn't inviting all of us to go to Rwanda these days, so you can breathe a breath of relief, but he does invite every one of us into an intimate relationship with himself. God is a God of passionate love who is not content to remain some distant deity. So he came to this earth to invite us into a relationship, loved us, showed us a better way. But the people back then, they rejected him, and they crucified him on a cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead, claiming victory over death. He set us free from our sin. And then Jesus appeared to his disciples, and he promised that he would always be with them, not watching out over them somewhere from heaven somewhere, but in them, living in them here on earth. His love is passionate and focused and free. It can't be contained. It's creative, a little bit risky, and it never gives up and it never gives, uh, lets go of you or of me. When you deeply connect to Jesus and his life flows into yours, then all you want is more of it. Just bring it, Jesus. A greatest passion, an intimate adventure. So will you pray this prayer if you've never prayed, Jesus, come into my life. Would you be my leader and my forgiver? Would you fill me with your love, with your joy, with your life? And if you have prayed that prayer before, will you pray and ask him to fill you with more of him? Let him set your heart on fire. So Jesus, we pray for more of you. 
that you would transform the relationships we have into passionate adventures to an intimacy with you, that we would feel your fire, your love surging through us and in us, changing us, shaping us, making us different people. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here in us. Move us. Jesus, we love you. We welcome you. We pray this in your name. Amen.